Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. Having watched my stepfather in real time decide to put my mother into a facility has been heartbreaking for him and also for us, for their children. It's come as a result of his own awareness or decision or realization that he can't really take care of her anymore in the way that she needs. He is also elderly. He's almost 80. And he knows that he can't ensure her safety at all times. So very painfully for him, he arrived at the conclusion that it was time to place her into a facility. And it's been very difficult for him. Notable that for them, this was the decision of one spouse to place the other spouse into a long-term care facility. Whereas halakha, Jewish law, is more attuned to the responsibilities of the children toward the parents and a child, and by child I mean simply the offspring. Clearly at this point, age-wise, we're dealing with 70s and 80s for parents and 40s and 50s for their children. The question comes up as to whether or not it is acceptable or even preferable for us, for their children, to place a parent into a facility. And again, as we've explored from time to time in this class, the question of whether or not the answer to that question has changed. And the main reason the answer to that question would change is because people are simply living longer. The life expectancy for people now in the United States and in first world countries is late 70s and 80s. And there is also the very real impact of the fact that people don't tend to live near their parents later in life. Whereas that may have been true in the old world and might be true, for example, in the land of Israel, that's probably more the exception than the rule in this day and age that children in midlife would continue to be living where their parents live. So our ability to participate directly in the care that our parents need, specifically around kavod, as we talked about, and feeding and providing drink, clothing, warmth, transportation. Most of us are not participating actively in providing for those needs. But the difficult question that needs to be asked is, should we? Should we be involved in providing for those needs? Is it okay? In terms of the Torah's expectations around kavod, is it acceptable that children move away from their parents? Or if parents decide that they want to move to Florida, should the children follow them in order to fulfill the mitzvah of kavod in a direct way? In order to address some of these questions, I would like to begin with a story in the Talmud 
and then move through some of the later sources in Torah literature that address that story in the Talmud, primarily Maimonides' Rambam, and commentaries on the Rambam, and then the Shulchan Aruch, and then modern-day halachic authorities and their opinions on this. And I'd like to provide these not yet or not necessarily as a definitive expression of what it is that our traditional wisdom expects of us at this time, but as the beginning of a conversation through which we can address this topic, this difficult topic, in the most effective and most informed way. So, in the Talmud Kedushin 30b, there's a story, it says, Rav Asi, Rabbi Asi, Habile Hahi'ima, Zekena, he had an elderly mother. Amarale, she said to him, Bayana Tachshitin, I want jewelry. Avadla, he made it for her or got it for her. She said to him, Bayana Gavra, I want a man, meaning literally, I want to be married. And he said to her, Ne'ayenlach, I will seek one for you. And she said to him, Bayana Gavra the Shapir Kavatach, I want a husband who is as beautiful or as handsome as you are. And then it says, Shavka, he left her, Va'azala Arad Israel, and he went to the land of Israel. It sounds like she was not aware that he was her son and she was in a sense insinuating that she would like to marry someone like him and that was enough indication of her status and her level of awareness that he left her and went to the land of Israel and that's the whole story or or at least the part of the story that we'll be focusing on and that the halachic thinkers have focused on. Why did he leave? Why exactly? Let's say she was so far gone that she mistook him for someone else or didn't fully understand the relationship with him, which, by the way, is true of many people with Alzheimer's where the person with Alzheimer's mistakes this person for all kinds of people in that person's life. My grandmother, rest in peace, thought I was her brother. She thought I was her son. She thought I was my father. So clearly that's an indication of a certain disorientation that would be one of the things we would track when we were trying to measure the status or the state of a person with Alzheimer's. But he leaves. Why? Why would her goneness be a justification for him leaving her and going to the land of Israel? What happens to her? So Maimonides, Rambam, says the following. He says, Someone whose mother or father has reached the point where their mind has become torn apart. 
Rambam says, Mishtadelin hogimahim kefidatam. The person should make effort to behave with them according to their datam, according to their level of awareness. Ad sheyiruchamalehim. Until the point where God will have mercy on them. And we'll talk later about what that means. And Maimonides goes on to say, If it's impossible for that person to stand or to stay, because they become so from the word which usually means someone who is insane, the person should leave them. And will go on his way. And should require or command others to care for his parents as is fitting to them. That's Rambam. So one of the main commentaries on the Rambam is called Ravad, or in the business, Ravid. And the Ravid has what are called Hasagot, where in the text of Rambam itself, the Ravid offers an alternative opinion. And here we find an important amendation of the Ravid, who quotes Rambam and says, Ein zehora. This is not a fitting teaching. Ein zehora nechona. This is not correct. Im if he will go and leave them behind, the who will he tell to, to take care of them? End of comment. These two opinions, Rambam and the Ravid, remain in circulation, as it were, and are discussed by future generations in order to understand the best way to act here. And the Kesef Mishnah, Rav Yosef Karo, who will later go on to write the book called the Beit Yosef, which we will discuss shortly, and then went on to write the Shulchan Aruch, he says, first of all, about the Rambam's words, he says, it's a tova He's coming to give us good advice here. And he goes on to say, mysteriously, and certainly this is what Rav Asi, the person in the Talmud, actually did. But then the Kesef Mishnah goes on to quote the Ravid, and he, the Kesef Mishnah, opines, he says, if Maimonides had come up with this out of his own thinking, then, he says, then the Ravid's critique of Maimonides' words would have been a successful refutation of the Rambam. But, says Kesef Mishnah, but since he's gaining this knowledge, this piece of information from the story in the Talmud about Ravasi in Makom HaSagato, then there's no way to refute that. He's getting it from the Gemara, which is a fully legitimate source. Subsequent opinions to the Rambam offered suggestions as to how perhaps Ravasi could be read as not providing guidance for all of us, but maybe it was a specific case. Maybe it was specifically because Ravasi went to Eretz Yisrael was going to the land of Israel, which represents a certain kind of halachic exception. But, says the Kesef Mishnah about the Ron's commentary on Rambam, that in that doesn't make sense to me about that. So, the Kesef Mishnah, whom I just quoted, went on to then write a book called Beit Yosef, and he again brings the words of Rambam, of Maimonides, and defends Maimonides against the refutation 
of the Ravid, the Ravad. But then the Derisha, who is a commentary on the Beit Yosef, says, I actually think that the Ravid had a good point. And he says it's implied from Ramam, the very fact that this person was able to tell other people to take care of his parents, implied that it is possible for other people to take care of his parents. And Rambam would be implying that even though it is possible for other people to take care of his parents, still this person is free to go. And the Drisha says that that is a good point. That the Rambam's statement is not to be taken as good advice. Because as the Drisha says, if other people are able to take care of the person's parents appropriately, who all the more so the person themselves, the parent's child, he knows how to treat his parents very specifically. He knows what they want. And if that's so, then that person themselves is required to take care of the parents. So the Drisha says, granted, in the story in the Talmud where it makes no mention of telling other people to take care of the parents, perhaps we could find some reason to understand why Ravasi felt like it was okay. And the Drisha himself offers an explanation that they had reached the point where it was impossible for anyone to take care of them. But, says the Drisha, If it's possible for other people to take care of the parents, then it's certainly all the more so possible for the child to take care of the parents, and then the person remains obligated. And so, ultimately, the Shulchan Aruch, perhaps taking into account the comments of the Drisha, says, Someone whose parents have reached this point of that their mind has become so torn apart. That person should make effort to treat them according to what they know or their level of consciousness or awareness until the point where God will have mercy on them. And then he says, But if it's impossible for that person to stand, since they have reached a very advanced level of shigaon, of insanity, he shall leave, then leave them behind. And he should order others to take care of them as is fitting. It doesn't fully answer the question that the Drisha raises that if he can't take care of them, how would anyone else take care of them? But it does make the point that there could be a stage beyond which it is no longer possible or relevant for the child to continue to take care of the parents. Perhaps, as some suggest, because the child might be required to restrain the parents or it might come to a tussle where there would be physical struggles and then we'd be entering into very, very difficult territory halakhically in terms of how a person is supposed to behave towards one's parents. That is how this issue is discussed in the older sources, Talmud, Rambam, commentaries on Rambam, and then Shulchan Aruch. And what remains to be discussed is the extent to which, if at all, these have changed in the modern age and why. And in what ways we can continue to fulfill the essential mitzvah of honoring our parents when they reach a point where we can no longer care for them appropriately.